Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker, and I'm so excited for this conversation as I begin to process what this trip that was five years in the making means for us now that we're back to ordinary life. And honestly, it was my 11-year-old who summed it up in a single sentence I cannot stop thinking about. Yeah, this is part two in our conversation about a life-changing Christmas trip. And I was astonished, actually astonished, Lisa Joe, about where this conversation took us. I mean, all the way to the Grand Canyon via the Great Pyramids of Giza with a detour in Alaska, right? So get comfy, friends. I know, like, get comfy because this is quite a trip, friends. <laughs> Here we go. Well, Lisa Joe, you left us with a little bit of a cliffhanger last week. Um, our listeners hopefully remember and hopefully have already listened. If not, stop, go back, listen. <laughs> this is part two of a conversation we've been having since you returned from your long-awaited trip home to South Africa. But yeah, you left us with a cliffhanger, apparently, and I'm actually not surprised, and our listeners should not be surprised, because we have had your young, the youngest baker on the podcast. <laughs> true. So our listeners know that Miss Zoe Baker is a wise, wise one for her age. Um, but apparently she said something that we need to hear and we need to talk about. So I'm ready yeah. to hear it. Well, we were the last night of our trip in South Africa. We were there for three weeks. We were sitting around the dining room table and everyone was sharing sort of a favorite moment, something they really remembered, something they were surprised, something they learned about, you know, after this experience. And Zoe says to us, and now you have to remember, she is the only one of my kids who really did not have any true memories of having been to South Africa. She's been so young every time we've gone. The last time we were there, she was like five or six. And so she she just it hadn't imprinted on her. So this trip, she's nearly 12. Like it's it's really sort of for her the first time she's now processing this experience of spending three weeks in another country. She had been really nervous to go. She was nervous about the flight. She was nervous about being outside of America. She just, I think, was struggling at the idea of stepping out into another world and you have no idea what it's going to be like. And as she said to me, it wasn't like going home for her because she didn't remember any of the people <laughs> telling me. <laughs> so she said that last night, what had surprised her is she realized for the first time, she said, I realize other people are not just thinking about America the whole time. And she said, for other people here in South Africa, America is not the main character in the story. That was her phrase. And it was such a beautiful way to really sum up this reminder that while America views itself as the center of the universe, and in many ways, to be fair, it is, it's sort of, we've talked about this before, it's like the modern day Rome. But when you travel to the far fringes of the empire, mm -hmm. Other people aren't working around thinking about America all day long. America is not the main character in the story. And that has really sat with me because I've wondered, what does that mean coming back? Like, what does that mean for those of us who live here? Right. And if travel, you know, can decenter us sort of or, you know, shift our perspective so radically. And then thanks to Miss Zoe, we all get to share in that insight. Yeah. How then does that change things for us if we're still back 
like for you coming back or for someone like me who never left. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've been here, haven't gone anywhere, have hardly left my house. Um, Yeah, what, because that does sound like wisdom and what what does it offer us? You know, I'll I'll say just for myself, I feel like, and I've even said this a few times I feel like these words have come out of my my mouth to my husband a few times over the past few weeks in different contexts where I have said something like, well, I think because I read so many books, da 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 And what I have said is something like, because I'm such a reader, I'm always immersed in other people's minds, other places, other ways of seeing the world. Like, it's just always, there's always some other, you know, perspective sort of playing out in my brain and that... This has been happening now since I learned to read 40 years ago. Um, I think it means that stepping outside of my own shoes and my own place feels really natural, feels pretty easy, um, because my brain in these small ways, because um, it's different, you know, reading a book is not actually going to another country. It's, <laughs> it's more subtle. Yeah. Um, but it's so consistent for me over my lifetime that it feels like a muscle that is just strong. And so it just feels very easy for me to always be wondering like, okay, well, this behavior of this person seems problematic, but I can imagine some deeper motivations here that might explain things. Um, That's just a natural move for me to make because I'm a reader. But obviously, yeah, whether it's travel, reading, I mean, there's other ways. There's conversation and community that can help form us to more easily see other perspectives. So I don't know, maybe that's just my initial takeaway is... What is it? What does it look like? And how are our lives changed if we have this strong muscle of being able to like step out of our own habitual ways of, of right. seeing? Because I think there does tend to be a tendency. And it probably isn't just in America, but in any any place that we are from, mm-hmm. to much like a castle, like kind of pull up the drawbridge and deepen the moat and make it our safe place, our ground, you know, outsiders, this is where I belong. This is my story. This is where I'm from. I'm the main character in the story. And we can, I think, if we're not careful, our worlds shrink in that way, like they get smaller, because, and even in the US, it can become that way, you know, like the states we're in become our focus or our cities or our church or our community. And I'm actually not trying to make some kind of political statement here. I just think it's factual. And when we traveled, what was interesting is we went through Cairo on our way there and spent the most epic 18 hour layover ever. Like I felt like I was (laughs) on the amazing race because we like landed at five in the morning, Egypt time, American time. So our body clocks, it was midnight and then proceeded to pull an all-nighter in Cairo. And Peter has a friend who's an Egyptologist who picked us up from the airport and drove us from the airport after flying for 10 hours to the Great Pyramid at Giza. And at seven in the morning, we were inside that pyramid climbing up it. It was insane. We saw the Sphinx, the Nile. We ate lunch in Cairo. We visited the old Coptic churches. It was incredible. But Egypt had a very different feel. I mean, like, literally like the atmosphere the the actual texture of the air you realize oh this is we're in a desert like everything is coated in dust <laughs> like even when you're in cairo everything is coated in dust you realize like the desert is just right here and 
Egypt had a very different feel then than Pretoria does in South Africa, where Afrikaans is this prominent language and where the parliamentary buildings are, to Johannesburg, which is much more English and where the gold mining and diamond mining industry is. And all of that was very different to on the flight home, we flew through Qatar. I've never traveled through there before, and it's just where the World Cup was held. So, in the airport, they had all these huge displays, and it was like two in the morning. I was pretty out of it from traveling. My kids loved it. The airport is really cool. But Qatar, you know, has a completely different feeling than either of those two places. And you realize that the human beings God has created and placed in certain parts of the global garden have very different stories, different values, different priorities. And it's just good anytime you kind of get shifted left of center, like you're just not in the center of your story anymore. It's like you're just kind of like bumped off the stage a little bit, as Zoe yeah, would say. Yeah. And you realize, oh, there are other main characters here in the world. Like, we're right. not it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I feel like my most visceral, like actual physical experience of that was the time when I traveled to Alaska. Oh, um, I forget. You, have you been to Alaska, Lisa mm-mm, Jo? I don't mm-mm. think so. Have you been that far north I don't before? think so. I haven't. No. So that's what I didn't expect. And this is the kind of thing that, like, I don't know that I could have, maybe if someone had described it to me in a book, but until you feel it, I, I don't know. I just remember as soon as I got to Anchorage, had time kind of like you, these long layovers, I think it was even overnight, and just to wander around before um, more flying the next day. But I remember feeling as if I was standing on the top of the earth, like feeling like I could just feel that I was no longer on the part of the planet that I knew <laughs> yes. and was comfortable with. Yeah, And it's because the angle of the sun, and, and I was there in September, but the angle of the sun was so low, but the day was so long. And that does not translate to any yeah. experience you would ever have in the mid-Atlantic latitudes. Right. right? And it, I, I felt walking around this, like, almost this vertigo feeling in my belly, like I was going to topple off. Like, I wow. felt that way. I wow. felt unsteady. And it was very, it wasn't in my head. It was very much because of the clues of the sun and the light. Um, it was in my body and it was really disconcerting. And it was kind of fascinating, but it, it was, it was uncomfortable. Like mm. you know, I was constantly mm. aware of it. And I'm sure if, in time, you know, I would have become more used to it. Um, but just being sort of in Anchorage for that 24 hours or whatever it was, I was just sort of constantly aware of this kind of fascinating unease in my body as if my body knew <laughs> I was not yes. <laughs> any longer, yes. you know, in Pennsylvania. That's so good. Um, but I can imagine, like we... It's good for us, right? Like not only physically, mentally, emotionally to be sort of like displaced enough to actually see maybe what otherwise we just take for granted, right? Like our place, our home. And and it's funny how we can assume our story is the most important one just because we're in it. We're in it. When you're in other (laughs) countries, you're just so aware of like, I can't read the the syllabic, the Arabic handwriting, like, I can't read it. I can't understand it. I don't, the traffic is insane. Like, what is happening right now? Like, Abdul drove us, so, like, he navigated it. We would have definitely died if Peter or I were trying to drive. (laughs) And it was just, like, 
was so interesting too, because what I realized like being in Cairo and when we went up to Giza at the pyramids, the pyramids have existed for thousands and thousands of years. The pyramids predate Jesus, Moses, Joseph and Mary's flight to Egypt, like they would have been there. So when Jesus and his parents came to Egypt, the pyramids already existed. When Joseph, even before that, became like the second highest in command in Egypt, what was incredible is the Egyptologist who took us around showed us how around the pyramids are remnants of roads that the Egyptians had built. And he said, if Joseph absolutely would have come and inspected these sites, he would have come by chariot. That's how he would have traveled. And that's why these roads exist. He would have driven <gasps> his chariot. And I like had full body chills. I was like, this is not just a story. It's The Bible is not just a thing you read and are like, oh, that's nice. I mean, we crossed the Nile River. We got out of our car and stood it, looked at it. It's huge. It's not like a thing that trickles through your backyard, which I don't know why that's how I sort of imagine. Like the Nile is massive. And for Joseph, for um, Moses's sister Miriam to come and entrust him, to like put him in a little basket and put him in the Nile River to stand at the place like where that river existed is is, is is astonishing. And you realize like there are stories that predate ours by millennia. And and yet we can get so caught up in our own narrative. We're so used to being the main character. And I think that's what this kind of travel does. Suddenly there are other people that are the main character in the story. And even how we interpret scripture is completely through the lens of us here, like me living outside of Washington, (laughs) D.C. But when I sat in Cairo, I was in Giza at these pyramids and listened when he shared about the history of scripture and his nuanced understanding of, you know, I was like, wait, I thought the Israelites built the pyramids. Like, wasn't that part of the slave labor? And he's like, no, 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 go back to the passages. When the Israelites were working, remember the Pharaoh said, we're not even going to give you straw for these bricks, for these mud bricks. You're going to have to grow your own straw. Those are the, that's, that is the architecture that was used in these villages. And you could go look at the villages that exist, the pyramids are built out of pure rock. It's limestone and sandstone. I mean, like he could sit there and decode scripture for us through a lens that I just, I have access to if I study, if I get a book or a concordance, but like we sat there at the foot of the pyramids (laughs) as he talked to us. And I just, I guess what I'm trying to say is Sometimes we're threatened by the idea of not being the main character. And I think what we experienced on this trip was the relief and the gift of not being the main character. Uh, Wow. Yes. I would love to unpack that a little bit because in a different way, in a very different way, because I've never been to Egypt. I've never been to the Holy Land. I've never been to these places. Um, and yet, this is something I feel like I have experienced spiritually over the past few years as I have learned more about other Christian traditions or or even just learned more about my own. <laughs> um, because there's always, as we grow up, the Christian story may be handed down to us even as children, but it's so big and complex and the spiritual depths are so enormous that, you know, it, it does take a, a lifetime to, to go deeper and deeper. And so personally, as someone who loves history, as I have gone deeper, um, one of the things that has really blessed me, and I don't know, 
I don't know if other, yeah, some other people I think would be blessed in similar ways, other people not. So let me just explain. <laughs> so I am someone who um, is very aware and has been since childhood of my own self and my own self's opinions and my own <laughs> self's ideas <laughs> and just, you know, generally very clear about what I think, what other people think. Like, I'm not confused. Like, if I'm in a group and other people have opinions, I don't think for one second, oh, yes, I also think that. No, I am always very clear. That is in your head. Here are the thoughts in my head. Like, I just have a strong <laughs> sense of of self in that sense. Um, sometimes this is good. Often this is very bad. <laughs> Um, but just what it means is I go through life I just with a carrying that burden of my own self, my own opinions, my own values, the things I love, you know, my own preferences, right? Over time, these things can become a burden. Like our own selves can be just such a heavy mantle to carry. And I, I sometimes think that one of the things maybe Jesus was offering when he said, you know, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Light, as he's saying, like, oh, Christy, maybe take a break from being so Christy-ish and just be Christ. It's easier. <laughs> um, anyhow, so as, you know, so this has been a personal journey for me. And one of the things I have found in in older historic, you know, traditional forms of Christianity, you know, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, is that whereas the salvation story I was raised in was primarily about me and my salvation, which is absolutely true. Um, there is a me. I am saved. Praise God. Um, but other traditions maybe have more of an, inf an emphasis on the bigger cosmic story of salvation, of creation redeemed, you know, the wholeness of creation, of maybe a cosmic battle between good and evil. And, you know, they might even talk about the cross as, you know, victory over death and, 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 you know, themes that, yeah, were present for me, but maybe weren't the ones emphasized. It was more about me and, and my salvation. So I tell you, Lisa Jo, like just in purely terms of my religion, my spirituality, to be slightly decentered from the salvation story has been amazing. <laughs> like it just feels like a, a little step into a story that is bigger than me. And there's such a relief in that. And it's humbling, but it's like a humbling that just feels so good to just be like a little, a little person, a little player in this big story that is um, like as big as I picture like the, the sky, right? Full of stars. Like it's, there's so much going on spiritually that is beyond me. And I ex have experienced that personally as like, relief. So I don't know if that corresponds to yes. the kind of relief like yes, you felt I think stepping so. into those pyramids. Or right. Because I think American Christianity, we tend to tell ourselves the story as if it's our story. And I realized, actually, we are latecomers to the story. Like when I was in Egypt, I'm like, no, they actually have an inheritance that's like more more ancient than ours. Like we, we kind of are coming on the tail end because there are civilizations that are so much older than ours that Jesus walked, like he lived there. That was home to him for a while. Like his parents traveled to Cairo. <laughs> like it's so crazy. And so I think that's yes, it's a relief. It's beautiful. It's good for us to remember. Like we are grafted into a story. Like we have been invited into a story. It wasn't ours to begin with. Christ is quite clear about that. We are adopted. We are not the original heirs to the story. And so I love how you talked about this idea of 
how you can be full of your story and your thoughts and how it's a relief to empty yourself. And of course, then I immediately thought of like one of my favorite verses in scripture in Philippians 2, 7. That is how they describe Jesus. Like he emptied himself when he became a human by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Like if anybody emptied himself, it was Christ. He emptied himself from everything he was entitled to as the firstborn, the heir of salvation. And if he emptied himself and he came in this form of humility and he sat in the temple to learn, what a reminder to us, like to put ourselves in the position of learning. And you don't have to go to Cairo to do that. You know, you just have to be willing to remember, like we are grafted into a story that's an ancient one and it's America doesn't own it. And I think part of what I often struggle with in coming back is the sense of bigness versus smallness that you're talking about. I think when I'm in Africa, particularly, South Africa is particularly like this. I mean, my high school is just 30 miles from what they call the cradle of humankind. You know, like these are ancient places. And when you're there, the vastness, the ancient vastness of this place, this beauty makes you feel small in a way that is freeing, that makes you feel like you can breathe, like you're your proper size again. And I'm sure you experience that in America when you're at the Grand Canyon or you're in Montana or you're at a glacier in Alaska. Like there are many places we can experience this. South Africa is that place for me. When I'm there in the shadow of the mountains or the jacaranda trees or, you know, the desert in Cairo, you feel an appropriate smallness that has freedom attached to it. One of the things I always struggle with when I come back into American Western Christendom, and I'll I'm trying to be really careful how I phrase this <laughs> because it's hard to say it without it sounding like an indictment. And if it's an indictment, I am included in it. But when I get back on just sort of the social media version of Christianity in America, I feel small in a way, though, that is painful and dysfunctional and makes me feel irrelevant. Like somehow to be a Jesus follower, you have to have these giant platforms or ministries or messages or Bible studies or speaking events or perfectly curated feed or perfect children. Or there's a version in which there's a kind of bigness of the centered Christian story that leaves a lot of us, I think, feeling small, not in a healthy, hopeful way. And that is always the hardest part for me coming back. And I guess it's the same like when I go to Walmart, when I get back and I'm in the toothpaste aisle, I immediately feel overwhelmed in a not great way. Like I don't know how to choose. Why do we need to have this many choices? It's, <laughs> it's like stressful. That's often how Western Christianity can make me feel when I'm back. I feel small, but in an unhelpful, unhealthy, limiting way. But when I'm in places where there's a kind of bigness that is the reflection of who God is, I feel small in a healthy, beautiful, free way. Does that make any kind of sense? Mm-hmm. It does. It absolutely does. Yeah. I I feel like, what is my impulse when I feel that kind of good, free smallness? My impulse is to be silent. My impulse is to praise, to be grateful. But beyond that, yeah, I think that's it. When I'm feeling that kind of desperate smallness where I want to assert Mm -hmm. myself, I want Mm -hmm. to 
feel powerful again. I want to show everyone like, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm, uh, then my impulse is to talk, yes. to prove myself, to present to make a myself version understood, of yourself on social <laughs> yeah. media or to something. To perform, to present. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there isn't really time for gratitude or awe. Yes. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's helpful for me to like think about the different responses in those two places, if only to recognize, oh, I, I must be in the wrong place. And by place, I mean, it. it we have to figure out how to live this without actually being in different ge- geographic right. spots, right? right? So we have to figure right. out how to be our our um, South African mountain or our Grand Canyon or our night sky selves mm. in our kitchens serving right. dinner to yes. our children or whatever yes. it is, you know, or in our offices. or And that feels to me like, like the work of a life of figuring out how to be that person in all these places rather than only when we realize, when we're confronted, you know, with our with our smallness um i think it can happen in weakness you know something we've talked a lot about on the podcast is is suffering um and how it that can be one of the things that sort of allows us to live out of that place um but yeah i think it can look like a lot of different things but yeah thinking about my my response in both places is helpful for me and i definitely i want to be the Grand Canyon, Christine, I know. right? That's I know. who I want to be. And I think my children had a taste of this because Micah said to me, Micah said to us as we were leaving, like the last night, he said, and, and I should just say, it's not just because we had these epic, you know, adventures with elephants. I think the most transformative thing is the deep surrounding of family that we live without all of the time. So we have 27 immediate family members who you forget when you're with family, when you're, when you are the heirs and you are there, family rearranges their lives for you because they love you. Friends will always put their own family first. And so you don't, on this side, we don't get that experience of people who are like, Oh, I've got to come to that soccer match or pick your kid up from school or make your favorite meal. Like family just does that because it's the native tongue of being related to one another. And so we, that was so pivotal for my children. I had one of my kids tell me, I had no idea you had a family. Like literally, we're like, literally, like Zoe was like, I I had no clue. I had no idea you had. And it was so devastating to me. And yet, how would she know? And she just kept saying, I look at this. You have all this family. (laughs) Like my children saw me this totally different way. Like this inheritance that I feel often like an orphan on this side. And on that side, there's like the bigness of family that makes you feel just the right size. And so Micah said to us at the end, he said this interesting statement. He said, how do you go back to your normal life after a trip like this? And Peter's answer was so excellent. And I think maybe this is what you and I are trying to get at. He said, you don't. You let it change you. You have to be changed. And it has meant so much to me. I've held on to it like a life preserver because that that being willing to be changed, that doesn't have to happen because you left the country. That is any time the Spirit reveals something to us where we feel that shift in our soul and the drawbridge comes down a little bit and we are shifted off center stage. Like that is a moment of change that we have to hold on to. And I think, you know, that's what 
repentance is. Like it's a turn, right? It's a change. It's a shift where I was facing one way and now I'm going to face a different way. And I think that has to be the lifetime's work we continue to do on Ordinary Tuesdays, unloading the dishwasher. Like how do I keep being changed by what God shows me? And we had a dramatic three weeks of that. But I know (laughs) in my life, I have that on Tuesday afternoons as well. I have to just be willing to be changed, not just to view it, not just to experience it and let it pass through me, I have to metabolize it so that the change becomes part of me. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And the good news is, you know, I'm feeling this right now because we're steeped in this story of the incarnation. You know, it's mm. just after Christmas. Mm. And um, as we record this, we're um, just shifting into epiphany. And I'm thinking about how, you know, when Jesus came, it's kind of this crazy thing that we always are talking about him as the son of God, which he is. But he was always calling himself the son of man. Yes. Always, yes. always, always emphasizing that. And of course, that language, you know, goes back to Daniel and, and you know, prophecies in the Old Testament. But it also just emphasizes that, that part of who he had become, you know, the incarnation, his humanness. Like he just kept telling people, I'm, I'm a man. I'm the son of man. I'm God has become man. Like that was the part, you know, we, we get all up on trying to prove like he was God. He was God. And he just seemed very concerned with proving that God had become man. (laughs) So great. Yes. Yeah. And, And so, it's just, it's a good time to re- to remember like, oh, you know, yes, I'm trying to become like Christ, but that means I'm trying to become human, like truly, beautifully, fully, completely human. And, and so, of course, that happens on Tuesday afternoons, right? That right. happens like over right. fish with your friends, <laughs> just, right. you know, got off their boats <laughs> or, yeah. or, you know, around the campfire. Like it just happens um, around the table. It happens in conversation. It happens as we walk along in life. And I guess that makes me feel like maybe this is possible. Like it sounds so big and huge and hard and grand and out of reach, but because it's as far away as South Africa, but actually, no, it's as near as like my own human life, um, which because Jesus came and lived it is is now changed utterly in, in, and it's able to become exactly what it was always meant to be. Like that's, that's comforting to me and feels like, okay, I'll, I'll keep going. Right. And I, <laughs> we, can, we can do this. And I think it requires... Just like in last week, we talked about when God invites us to come into this world and be stewards with Him, like it inquires something of us. Same here, like to actually enter into that change is to not fall asleep again. Because I think we have these moments, these jarring moments where you're like the Grand Canyon or the Northern Lights or even just like springtime after a storm or the power of a storm, like, or a new baby that's born or someone who's suffering from cancer, like these huge wake up moments where you're kind of jarred out of your everyday sleepiness and your eyes open again and you catch a glimpse of Jesus like there he is in the room and my brother Joshua I had such an interesting conversation with him the day before we left we were talking about his journey in the last 14 months with cancer and how he's come into this sort of deeper relationship with the the man Jesus you know the god man Jesus 
And I was asking him about that. And he said, you know, the hardest part of all, Lisa Joe, is to hold on to that, like to keep being changed. It's so easy to fall asleep. And I, I'll end us, of course, by a book reference that will make you very happy. He then quoted The Silver Chair, which you know is one of the Narnia books. And if you're not familiar with that one, this is where the kids go in search of Prince Caspian. And he is, it is Caspian, right? Or was it one of the, mm-hmm. it's Caspian. No, actually, it was, I just read it with Elsa. Oh. So I know that it was Prince Rillian. Rillian. Caspian's Caspian son. Comes, Caspian, Caspian is the son. voyage of the dawn treader. Yes, yeah, so Rillian. They're trying to find him and he's being held by, there's always, you know, an evil queen under the ground. And he is this charming, affable fellow who basically denies that he's underground, denies that there's any world outside of this queen who's trapped him, has never heard of Aslan. He's just going along his merry, happy-go-lucky way. And he's content in his life, the way we all want to be. And he does tell them, though, that he is prone to these terrible fits where he's heard, he turns into this crazed person. And so, you know, for an hour a day, the queen ties him to this silver chair. So he will not harm himself. He will not harm others. And he tells the children, when I'm in this state, don't listen to anything I say. Do not free me. Like, that's the most important thing. Do not free me. And then, of course, the hour comes and it's in that hour you realize he is his truest self. He's been under an enchantment. In that one hour, he is lucid and he tells them, this is the real me. You have to free me. I'm under this enchantment. You have to let me out. And of course, they are like, you've told us not to do anything you ask. But then he invokes the name of Aslan. And so they free him and he destroys the chair and and he's woken permanently. And Josh just said to me, one of the things I struggle with is remaining awake because there's, he goes, just last week, I was terrified about my cancer numbers. And this week, I can drift off and mindlessly binge TV for hours and forget to read my Bible and not forget, just not want to, like feel tired, not want to engage God on that level. And it's the constant work of remaining awake to those these jarring trips. And so, part of what Pete and I have been sitting down talking about is, okay, what does it look like now? Coming back, fresh, eyes wide open. How do we live into those spaces? How do we remain changed? And I think it'll look different for all of us. I think the biggest thing is to just say yes, like to the opportunity. Yes, I want to be untied. Yes, I don't want to be asleep anymore. Yes, I want to be awake. Like invoke the name of Jesus on a Wednesday afternoon and see what does that mean (laughs) in your household. Because we can, we can keep changing and we can keep walking deeper into knowing Christ. And I just... We don't want to waste these moments of awakeness, and we we want to stay awake. I think that's what I want this year, to just stay awake to the humanity and the God who creates this incredible world around us and invites us into it where he he's the main character of the story. He is, um, which means we all have equal access to him no matter what language or country we're coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's good news, even for us Americans with our <laughs> especially <laughs> lack of beauty and our <laughs> No, someone is gonna be so offended. We think America is beautiful. We love it. <laughs> oh, but it's good to step outside of that story with you, friend. Um gosh, I feel like you've brought 
back treasure for us. So hopefully we will help one another. Stay awake, Lisa Joe, as we um, move into this new year. We're as committed as ever to continuing these conversations. I feel like, Lisa Joe, like even if something happened and all our listeners went away, <laughs> which I hope never happens, I feel like... I feel like the real loss for you and I would be this. Like we we have this discipline now. Once a week we sit down and we we dive deep and um so yeah, I'm grateful that we have this not excuse but this like this whole structure of the podcast that like keeps us doing that cuz I know Lisa Joe that that keeps you and I awake. Like there I have we how many times have we experienced that where we've come to this place to sit down, we look one another in the eye and we are tired and we want to just stay sleepy. We yes. don't want to go deep. We don't want to talk about something hard. We don't How many times Lisa Joe have I you know. and I sat down and said, "Well, is there just something easy we can talk about?" <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Yes. And and yeah, I mean some some conversations are more lighthearted than others. Um, and that's that's wonderful too. That's part of the joy. But but these conversations keep us awake, and I hope, dear listeners, that they help you s- stay awake um, to your life, your everyday, which is can be same but also different. Um, I'm very aware that we have friends who are listening from all around the world. Yeah, it's just a privilege to participate in this this thing that is such a gift to us and then the way that God makes it bigger so that more people can participate as well is mm. amazing. Wow. Thank you thank for you, helping Jesus. me stay awake. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa Joe. Thanks for helping me stay awake. And ah, maybe one day you and I will find ourselves together outside of America. I know we've often <laughs> talked about it. So one right. day, maybe we'll, we'll record a podcast <laughs> in some other place. That would be great. <laughs> 